Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Appreciate y'all being here. And uh, again, keep keep listening. Don't forget the uh, Ask Dr. Drew show. We're not doing After Dark anymore. We wrapped that up for 2024. But uh, we are focusing more on this and on the streaming program. And uh, go to doctor.com. And uh, moreover, I'd love the, this podcast group to uh, subscribe over at the Rumble channel. I think you'd find that an interesting place. And speaking of interesting places and people, Emily Kaplan is my guest today. Uh, got lots of different hats she has worn now and over the years. She's the principal at the Clio Group. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yep. Uh, Emily, t- tell people about that to start with. So the Clio Group was really formed through COVID. Greg Glassman was my first client, um, and he was sort of long, wrongly accused of being a racist, as well as sort of you know sexual harassment, toxic workplace, all of these things. I had worked as an investigative reporter and run and sold a couple of small startup companies, sort of jumped into that fight to help him when I realized that he was being so wrongly accused and that like nobody seemed to have any interest in getting it right and was really doing the same job that I did as an investigative reporter to sort of untangle the claims, who was making them, what their motivation was. Mm. And so subsequently have helped um, a number of executives, politicians, big named people who get caught up in a scandal that I can prove I have to know that they're innocent um, and sort of help them through. And then a couple of companies who have tried to launch products into tricky markets. So that's sort of one side of the, my life. Yeah. Let, let's, let's, <laughs> we're going to talk about some other stuff. We're going to talk about, uh, science and, and, uh, plagiarism and all that good stuff. But I, I want to drill into this a little more just for a second, which is, I mean, how, how do you manage these things? Because I, you and I've spoken before that what goes viral is never what you did or said. It's what somebody says you did or says, and then somebody else says it again, and then some shithead blogger says it, then some outlying website announces it as fact, and then mainstream media picks it up as fact. Right. And I think we were living in this reactionary, emotional sort of time of life Mm -hmm. where people don't pause and take a second to think, like, does this sound right? Or (laughs) the assumption is always um, a negative one. Mm -hmm. And So it makes it very easy. I mean, I think some of these campaigns are orchestrated to the point where a man is accused of sexual harassment because another board member wants him off the board. And all it takes is an accusation, especially in a big publicly traded company, because, quite frankly, they don't want that getting out to the media. So even Mm -hmm. before it gets to the media, it's taking this sort of stronghold over an environment that's making everything sort of fear based. So from my perspective, you know, I went to Northwestern and got my master's and graduated at the top of my class in journalism. And um, we really had some rigorous training. I mean, we had to learn about how to read financial documents. We had a whole legal class framework that we had to study. And when I call news outlets that have are reporting things that are inaccurate, very often I'm talking to somebody who's really young, who doesn't mean to do harm, right? They're getting paid like shit money. They're doing this because they think that they're telling the truth, but they don't have the time or the mentorship that I feel like we all used to have Mm -hmm. to really dive in and and not, you know, it's sort of like you can be first or you can be right. Now nobody cares. They just want to be first. Uh, They just want to be first and loudest. You know what I mean? Like whatever. Yeah. Right. Just get the most clicks, whatever. I think there is nothing matters. Jesus. There's a confluence of things that's happened, right? The deterioration of the media Mm. has played a massive part of this, right? Where we Mm. have younger people who aren't as well-trained. We have this incessant need for content. 
And we don't have a lot of like, you know, the grownups have sort of left the building, which means the experience has left the building. The advertising model has changed so drastically that in some ways it doesn't even really matter, right? So like the reputation of these places, like, I mean, if we're going to get into the Dana-Farber scandal in a little bit of, you know, scientific misconduct that's going on over there, that story was not broke by any mainstream news outlet. It was the Harvard Crimson that broke it. Right hmm. now, we saw this at Stanford, too. It was the Stanford School newspaper that broke the story about their president committing scientific misconduct. Hmm. And so there's this sort of interesting thing where there's- I, I didn't even know that. I thought yeah. it was all stuff that spun out of uh, essentially David Sachs, what he was saying. And people yeah, so, were I mean, looking the, at things. With the Dana-Farber thing, the Crimson published their piece, I believe, a week before STAT. And STAT followed up on it. But for a week, they were saying, hey, guys, look. You know, I mean, that, that's very, that's seven papers that look like they've been fabricated. Th- that to me is racism. such good news. This is like yeah. there's a new, no, good news it. embedded in this that that the students give a shit that they're doing no. the work. They know the difference. They're yep. not they're not sort of in, steeped in the the relativism of post-structuralism so deeply that they can't call out a wrong. They can mm-hmm. actually identify mm-hmm. right and wrong, which is, right? by the way. That, I know that doesn't sound new. That's new for the last 20 years. Right. Uh, so uh, that's that's good news. So yeah, and I think it, ha- it must have to do with the pressure that's put on journalists in mainstream media outlets and the you know silencing that we certainly saw through COVID of you know what you can talk about and what you can't and the way that you have to talk about things. And the college newspapers are doing phenomenal work. And so I'm, I, mean, um, I talked to Shalto David. I don't know if you want to jump into this, but about his, um, how he found out that these images had been tampered with. And there's how? this Tell me. It's called PubPeer, which I don't know if you're familiar with, but it's an online platform. And it's basically, it allows anybody to anonymously post comments about scientific research that they have issues with. So there's all these really cool people who as like a hobby go through and they look at data sets or they look at images and then they're able to sort of say like, wait a minute, this image looks identical to this image, which is supposed to be taken from a a different cohort six months later. These have been photoshopped. Mm. And so that's what he did. He went through um, and he had made over 2000 comments on PubPeer, which is public. You can go on and look at it. He contacted all of the researchers and all of the journals that had published these stories and nobody did anything. Oh my God. Right. And so the Crimson picks it or first, actually, he publishes in um, a blog called For Better Science, which is also doing some really good investigative work. A lot of the stuff coming out of PubPeer, they're running. Um, And so he wrote up his sort of analysis of these papers and he has a database of all the papers he looked at and he sort of cataloged which ones he thinks are the most, you know, egregious grievances right or the biggest problems and he shared all of that with us so the other hat i wear is as the co-founder and ceo of the broken science initiative and we're going to be breaking a bunch of stories this week and probably next week looking at all that data because when you really get into this what you're starting to see is a pattern of let's call it bad behavior that is so clearly systemic but you look at these papers and so for instance um There's 57 papers, right? Mm -hmm. Dana-Farber has said that they're asking for retractions for six and corrections for 31. But the guy who is in charge, whose name is Barrett Rollins, and so he's the, you know, sort of chief ethics officer. Where? At Dana-Farber. Okay. And so 
he basically is running this investigation. Well, he's on to He's authored two of the papers. Uh, does, okay. does anybody know that other than you? No, yes. You, have you announced no, no, that yet? Okay. Right, but the mainstream media is not asking him the hard questions. So no. I would say, okay, you're, you, he's recused himself from those two papers. Okay. Well, that sounds okay. But who's his boss? Lori Glimsher. She's the CEO, the head of Dana-Farber. She's named on three of the papers. The COO is named on 12. And we go on and on. So it's like, I'm and, sorry. And what kinds of transgressions are you seeing in this group? What's, what's the sort of image, systemic image issue? implication is the big one. I, image um, meaning this this is my crystallography and I just put up Watsons or Cricks. <laughs> Somebody else. Well, no, it's more of like they're they're taking, it appears that they're taking images from, let's say, day one of the placebo group. Hey. And they're moving it to the end of the trial in the control group. So there's actually a cool animation that we'll share in our roundup where you can see how you take there. Let's say there's four columns of images, right? Yeah. So four different interventions yeah. and they're moving the images. So they're identical. And then there's another one that like we've been joking about, which is like super dorky, but they're mice, right? And they're, they're, you know, pinned down or whatever and photographed so that you're looking for the bioluminescence to light up and you can see their legs and their arms, right? Yeah. They're identical. Mm. So like you have one with like a tail that goes out this way. I mean, it would be like if we like all took pictures yeah. like this. Right, right. And then like six months later, we're all taking pictures and, they, and you can't get an animal to do that. So it's like some of this stuff is very obvious, it, obviously it, copied and pasted. Some I, of it's not where you there's an AI machine that goes through and looks for similar things. So it's the mice. And then it's also um, sort of like Western blot where you're really looking at, you know, sort of the how the image has been used to show the, you know, advancement of the disease. Huh. Uh, and so the, the thing that just to go back to the sort of ethics side of this, I, I mean, that's why I'm lost in right now. I'm trying to think what do they imagine they're doing? Or how do you think you're going to get away with this? Right. Well, but what is it? They, what do they tell themselves? Like, ah, it looks just like that. Let's, no one's going to notice or whatever. I, I, I don't get Yeah, I mean, thinking. I think that's right. We had the yeah. same exact scandal happen, which science broke. Um, not last summer, not last August, but the August before looking at Alzheimer's. And they came to the conclusion that a lot of their of the, the sort of like hallmark research in Alzheimer's was entirely photoshopped. Mm. Now what that photoshopping, what a, what a strange thing to sort of right. photoshopping part. But, right. I, but I, I want to go back to the, the column issue and the, and the control groups yeah. versus the first day of first day of treatment that. I, I quite, can't quite get my head around exactly what that looks like, but it feels like statistical manipulation, right? It, well, like, sure. Like, so, so the so when to me it feels like when they come in and they want to get get their p value achieved, the they start fucking around with it, and this is one of the things they they do. And and uh, is there any world in which they have a defense with that? Well, so this is what's really interesting to me. Because, you know, obviously with my Cleo hat, I think a lot about narrative and how we're crafting the story and what that is. And you have to do that both on that when you're trying to recraft the story, as well as when you're looking how, how somebody's made something up. Mm. And so with these guys, what's really interesting is that this guy who's, you know, essentially charged with investigating his bosses, right? Mm. I think the idea that he's heading up this investigation is actually scientific misconduct in and of itself. He can't. Like he should. He that. should recuse himself. Absolutely, yeah. it should yeah, be course. an outside organization. But the way the government funding for this all works is that 
It's Gosh. you basically, you have to do the investigation yourself as an internal, you know, review. And if you find misconduct, then you flag the research integrity office at HHS. Now, there was a big case out of Duke where the government got $112 million because of research misconduct flagged at an institution. But if you don't tell them that it was that bad, right, or you say like, oh, we did our review, we've asked for the corrections, we don't need to you know, flag this up the chain, then you're not going to have any government oversight come in. I don't even know if they're allowed to come in. I mean, one of the things that was so clear in the stat piece was there's no transparency here. They won't even tell people what papers they're looking at. They said they're looking at all of the papers that Sholto identified and more. And they say they've been looking at them for a year. What? I can't believe that for a second, right? Like this yes. all just came out January 2nd. And they're, you know, so there's so many funny bits of this where, and as a taxpayer, there's about um, roughly $50 million that we have been able to identify that went towards funding these. Now we haven't been, we've only been able to identify funding for 37 of the papers. So there's, in other be, words, the others are funded by drug companies. Well, or something, right? And who else? so who else at, are funding at, these days? If we think that we spent $50 million on something that might have, might turn out to be fraudulent, mm. don't you think just like with anything else, we should have transparency into what are the studies you're looking at? How did the investigation go? All of these pieces. What is Ketone IQ? Well, it's a brain fuel. It's a clean energy boost without sugar or caffeine. And uh, it's obviously a ketone. And it was developed by the military for use when people needed to be mentally acute but didn't have access to nutrition or any other source of, well, fuel. I have used Ketone IQ. It's a great way to control appetite. It's a great way to give you a sense of satisfaction. You feel full afterwards. And again, you can very much notice the effect on your brain. You feel yourself fueled by the ketones, and you can find Ketone IQ in your local Sprouts nationwide. And the brand name that brings us Ketone IQ is HVMN. That stands for Health Via Modern Nutrition. Again, that name uh, speaks for itself. They did this research on the military, and I'm telling you, this is the best ketone product you will find. You'll save 30% off your first subscription order of Ketone IQ if you go to HVMN, again, that is HVMN.com slash Drew. If you want something that really is an interesting way to manage nutrition, particularly if you're looking for something to fuel your brain, help with appetite, and have something readily available for a clean energy boost. It is Ketone IQ. And so when you think about the narrative being spun, what's fascinating to me is that this guy Rollins, who's heading the investigation, who's the you know spokesperson, keeps saying to the media, you know what? We can't find intent. Oh my so God! It may not be right. Holy it may shit. not be like this, this is, is just not that error, kind of thing. Right? This is not he's a. This saying, is not like a. No, like, but he's basically trying to make the argument like when you work in a lab, you know, mistakes happen, and this isn't that big of a deal. So we're taking it seriously. Well, we it, yeah, but, that, that's what I feel like you're going. People are going to say that's why I'm but, trying to really get my head around it. So, They're, but the, if you look up the definition of scientific misconduct by yeah. the federal government. Yeah, they actually are very clear. We don't give a shit if there's intent or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's negligence, that. just sort of like a corporate, you right. know, a 
an executive has fiduciary duty, so too do you, the scientist, have a responsibility to make sure that the work happening in your lab is your work. So even if there was no intention and this was a mistake, the buck stops with you. You're still responsible. No, I I feel like I feel like the threshold for negligence is where a lot of this is going to go, but not that not that screwing with the data part, (laughs) not moving the population around. That 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 is misconduct. If you have a grad student, let's say, who's doing this shit. Yeah. And you're not taking any action at real in real time. Like you're not in the lab, you're checking the work, then you are responsible, right? Well, even but of course, but but the the question is, is it is it duplicitous? Is it incompetence? Uh, or is it negligence? Well, so this is where he's going. He's gonna he is focusing that story outward because that's not what the federal government says. No, I get it. But it, so the like problem that, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about your job right now Yeah, and, okay. and getting it so comp. If, if you're not in science, it's going to get hard for people to get their head around this. Okay. Because they're going to go, Oh, well, some kids, some kind oh, well, I feel like they're going to have, they're going to get traction with that. Well, so the thing for me in terms of the story that I feel like everybody should be telling that they're not, mm. is you're talking about Harvard, and you're talking about Dana-Farber, which yeah. is one of the preeminent cancer research institutes in the world. And this shit is happening there. But what happens? So like you have a paper that makes some conclusion about some type of cancer therapy. And the average doctor sees Harvard, Dana-Farber. They're not going to go. Oh, uh, listen, I, 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 it runs a chill down my spine. But, you know, do you know who Vinay Prasad is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I've been listening to his podcast before COVID because he was assailing the oncological literature. Very, you know, yep. some people have a real, you're one of these people too, have a real skill at, at penetrating literature. It, and he definitely is there. Uh, and so I turned to him to sort of help me uh, analyze what, what's going on. And it's very enlightening. And then during COVID and then after COVID, he's gone, he's gone apeshit because everything has been so insane. Um, it feels He's a very logical thinker. I really like I clear, clear, that. logical. We can either his, his look, he's a well-trained scientist. We either can say something or we cannot, and that's it. And, and you can do whatever you want with the, with the data, but you're not, can't say what you think you're saying. You can't do that. And, um, and he's of course been taking on vaccines and other things. And even, even Paxlovid, which I'm sort of a fan of clinically because I've had some good results with he goes, you, you, you could use it and if any clinician can do anything they want, but there's no evidence you should be using it, which yeah. we do a lot of stuff in medicine that way. We do, a, right. to be fair, a lot. And I want to take people like back. Like our talk to, about statins. Well, that's what I want to get back to real quick to tell people that may not have heard our last conversation publicly about you. You've been looking at adulterated science for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's sort of shocking how, how much that is conventional that has been adulterated. And, and by the way, I, you've taken the proper scientific position, I think is in saying that, well, it might, some of this might be true, but we can't say it's true because mm-hmm. they haven't done the proper studies. That's right. That's right. And, and statistically our reliance on things like P values and peer review are not tools of validation. Yeah. And so we're using them as these sort of like strongman arguments for things that actually like if you're really trying to do science, you need to be able to replicate your results. It's about predictive value. It is not about, you know, a significant P value that's not telling you anything. In, really in fact, important. I guess it's maybe you set me up this. I started thinking about a month ago. I was like, Jesus, 
RCTs have only been around for 75 years. You know what I mean? These are not, it's not the standard of science through since Bacon, you know, Francis Bacon. It is, it is a newcomer. It is a new instrument and it's not thus saith the Lord. And it's, and you know, it used to be, by the way, I, I think I was thinking acutely about this because I was seeing how profoundly clinical, clinical instinct, clinical impressions, clinical observations were being completely cast aside. It's like, in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, yeah, we did some stupid shit, but that's what we had. When And sometimes we were very, a lot of the time, we were very right. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure that RCTs have dramatically improved our our, uh, our uh, batting record. And I think for me, that goes back to what I was saying a little bit earlier about like, where are the stories on the patient impact or the doctor impact, right? People become so beholden to this holy grail of high impact journals, that if it definitely affects the way that somebody in a clinical environment is deciding what to do. And some of the cancer drugs are so astronomically expensive. Uh It feels like highway robbery to me. Like it it makes me really revved up and pissed off. Somebody spending their last dollar Mm. on a treatment that they feel like is giving them hope. And it might be one of these studies where they fabricated or they falsified the data or moved the images around like that. That's where the pain goes. I think we're all becoming very apathetic and complacent Mm. about corruption, right? Oh my God. And so boiling the frog. Right. And it's like, you know, Harvard now has their diversity, equity and inclusion person is accused of plagiarism. Their president obviously just resigned on allegations of plagiarism. And there's a neuroscientist who's just been brought up on these same things just this week or uh, like Friday, I think. And so, Hmm. you know, they're crumbling. Like, I think, you know, the Wall Street Journal had this great article last week that was talking about confidence in higher education. And you and I have talked a lot about our college experience. Yeah, we We feel like similar colleges in a similar place in a not so similar time, but close. Before yeah, but they I mean, all went, went away. And it's so <laughs> before they lost their way. Yeah. yeah. Before they and lost it, their way. the Wall Street Journal cited a Gallup poll that basically said that confidence in higher education had gone from 57% to now 36%. I, I'm surprised it's that high. Because but here's what you got to add. I, here's what will go down to like 12%. Is it worth the price? Like no. if you have to pay for it, is, is right. it worth the, the cost benefit? And right. uh, not, not in my world. Yeah. Uh, it's I'm over it. Yeah. I mean, I, and and I'm I, a, I, I, when you and I had great experiences and it, it shaped us profoundly. Right. And phew, it's not, not available anymore. I, but by the way, if you could find it, it probably is it, uh, you know, sort of more modestly priced institutions. You probably, yeah, could you know, I spent it. some time and visited Hillsdale college. I don't know if you're familiar with them. I've it's, seen them come up once in a while. Yeah. They're one of the only schools that stayed open through COVID. So like uh, Jay Bonacharya and Martin Kulldorff went and helped them like sort of defended them against the governor and so that they could stay open. And mm-hmm. um, Dr. Larry Arn, who's the president of it is somebody I've been fortunate enough to spend time with. And, um, you know, he really wanted to he do what was right by the students through COVID. And he was like, I don't think this doesn't seem to be a risk to them. And c- shutting down school will be a risk to them. Yeah. So I mean, he was very bold in that. But they're very classical liberal arts education. Um, and I think their enrollment is like through the roof because it's okay. very hard to find that anymore. So you know you what go. I mean? So I, I wrote down the three words I, I brought up to you. And, and I'm wondering which of the three do you think? this is mostly the result of what we're seeing. Is it duplicity? Is it incompetence? Or is it negligence? I'm, I don't think it's negligence. I really don't. I, I think they... It's I, Those are all so slippery slope, right? Like, yeah. 
I think there's a culture by which people, it's a do or die. I think it's very competitive. I think getting the funding is really important. I think it's hierarchical. So you kind of do what your mentors are doing or you do what you learn in the lab and you have enough cognitive dissonance about it to say mm. this is how we do it. It's mm. not right or wrong. It's not unethical. This is how everyone's doing it. Mm. And if I do it a different way, I'm at a competitive disadvantage because all mm. of the people around me are getting these statistically significant results, right? Mm. And getting more funding for our institution. And so I, you're going to be out on the street if you don't play that game. And I guess I, I have a similar thought in my mind and question about journalists. Like, what what has happened? I I haven't spoken to a journalist that thinks and works the way you do in ten years. I think and- it's the same phenomenon. I think it's like again, it feels to me like you know we're we've canceled all the older people, right? There's not a lot of you have to have a good mentor who's rough with you. I think right, and I think oh, hundred percent so sensitive about. I mean, like I. Yeah. Newspaper, when I worked at the Las Vegas Review Journal, the editor there was like this cowboy. He would like keep his boots up on the desk. And if you had to go into his office, you were like either in deep shit, right? <laughs> or you were pitching an idea that nobody else wanted to say yes to, right? Mm-hmm. So you knew it was kind of risky, but he would kind of like, you know, very rough. And I'm sure like he would never be allowed to be like that now because somebody would say like, you hurt my feelings. But he, I learned a lot from those kinds of guys. Yes. Right. Well, I'll and, say it out loud. I've something I said you just before the mics heated up. It's like when do we become such pussies? When right? do we become <laughs> such fucking pussies? I, 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 when did safety become the main priority of living? It makes yeah. me want to go become an MMA fighter or hang glider or something. <laughs> just to, to this even is jiu-jitsu is like bigger than ever in some communities. Well, right? you know what's funny is that that's what Adam Carolla keeps saying is that it's going to be safe spaces and octagons. Like we're 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 drifting apart. There's going to be yeah, so, you know, I mean, Conor I, McGregor and then, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and then these, you know, su- super. Uh, I see that really like, types. in an interesting way. I traveled all through COVID. I wasn't nervous about it and I had to Likewise. work. Likewise. So I was out and about. And yeah. so I would go to red states and I live in a blue state. Right. Yeah. And it yeah. was like these kids are having completely different childhoods, like completely. Yeah different right you go to arizona i'd visit greg glassman my business partner and like his kids are riding bikes and they're out and they're playing with friends and no one's wearing masks and you know that sort of seems like life is normal and i come back to boston and it is like nobody can talk to each other people are like washing their groceries in bleach right it's like i complete like it feels as though i'm in a different universe and the kids now coming out of it are completely fucked up Right? Injured, injured, yeah, and, and predictably, it was so. Pre- I, I said through so the whole COVID thing, I said eight to fifteen year olds are going to be destroyed by this, just destroyed. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, that was at the starting date. So, to, so, and I will continue to expand that to eight to seventeen year olds since we we expand. You know, we ended up doing it for two years here in California. Yeah, it's um, I, I it, it's so disturbing, and it 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 worries me a little bit about the our our more perfect union of the states that we are so different. In fact, it sounds like early days, like when there were 13 different countries, like we're getting into that kind of territory again. That's a very good observation. I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. It is. There are these sort of like individual little pockets around, right? And they're kind it, it of is, operating on their own. Yeah. It's at once our, it's at once our strength, right? It's the reason, you know, we're able to, so many things we can flexibly adjust to. You can move around, you can go to a different state, different state operates differently. You can pick your choice. Uh, but it's gone so far and people have been so disconnected from the principles of the federal government 
that yeah. it worries me a little bit. It's like, oh, it's going too far, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, was in, we were, I was in Texas. I was in Austin, and somebody, a friend of mine had was you know moved from California, be running away from this, and uh, had a great school experience, public school. And uh, she was telling me, she goes, yeah, a kid, kid came in with COVID the other day, and the teacher was telling us, she started laughing, what he wants to do? Like, close the school? Close the classroom? Wear masks? <laughs> and then, of course, none of the other kids got COVID, and, and they w- went on about their business. You've heard me talk about this product before. It is Sugar Shift Probiotic by BiotiQuest. Navigating the probiotic landscape can be a bit overwhelming, but BiotiQuest Sugar Shift is here to make it easy. Sugar Shift stands out. It's a powerhouse. It restores balance. It improves, well, amongst other things, may curve some of those pesky sugar cravings and stabilize your blood sugar and insulin. If you're wondering how it works, Sugar Shift converts glucose and fructose in the gut into prebiotic mannitol. That's a free radical scavenger that promotes a more diverse microbiome. With eight probiotic strains not found in other probiotics, this patented formula is changing the probiotic standard. Biotic Quest groundbreaking patented formula speaks volumes about the metabolic engine of the gut. And here's an exciting piece of news. You can get a 15% discount off the first three months of your Sugar Shift subscription with our promo code DREW15. While results may vary, clinical results indicate that best results come at three months and beyond. Take charge at B-I-O-T-I-Q-U-E-S-T, BiotiQuest.com with code DREW15. Listen up, campers. It's time to buckle up, pitch a tent, and take a hike. This is Camp Counselor's Podcast with Zachariah Porter and Jonathan Carson. Consider this podcast your new favorite variety show. Where the badges mean nothing. And the drama means everything. Is this podcast even about camping? No, but it is camp. (laughs) We cover everything. I have a theory that a chicken finger is the perfect chaser for a tequila shot. No, because at the end of the day, I was a child actor who fell victim to an audition scam. I'm going to be vulnerable for a second. Have you ever had to shop in a husky section at a department store? Then I don't want to hear it. Honestly, I can't talk about this anymore. I'm overstimulated and I'm bloated. (laughs) From weird news and our current obsessions. To hot gossip and listener submitted confessions. Nothing is off limits at this camp. New episodes of Camp Counselors drop every Monday and Wednesday. Listen wherever you get your podcast. Lights Lights out, campers. Well, I feel this way a little bit, even about testing for COVID. Well, so that's, holidays, that, that's your science brain, right? Yeah, that's right. what Vinay Prasad is hammering on lately. So I why, mean, I think why that's really interesting. Why are we testing? Like, yeah. do we test for flu every time you get a cold? Right. And I mean, I guess if you want some prophylactic or you want some treatment, then sure, test, make sure you have it so that you get the right medication for it. Fine. But as far as like, hey, I've got the sniffles, I should test for COVID. Like, why? You don't test for anything else. Right. Go to bed, have some soup, get up right. and do your life, right? Yes. And if, yes. if you if you start getting very sick with it, which it has some potential for that, then then we test. Then we look at right. it because because then we're thinking about treatment and we right. don't know what we're treating. Right. But I mean, I think I have a lot of problems with the, you know, obviously the statistics well, around how all the COVID stuff came out and the fact oh. that we didn't even have sensitivity or specificity for the tests. And we were making all these bold claims and we didn't even know what the tests did or how right. they worked or what That's their rates right. were. We didn't have a death rate, right? Like we were really just like out of our minds when it came to the statistics. And, you know, now I think that's really ingrained in people, this idea of like, oh, I have to test. And it's really interesting psychologically to look at like, how did that 
kind of inform people who thought they were being good citizens. Like there were all these morality issues put into testing and being aware and it yet so separated from the reality of like, you're taking a test that actually we don't know what the false positive rate is. So <laughs> it's happening again here in Southern California. We're having it rain. We get rain in February in Southern California. Sometimes it's heavy and sometimes it goes for a week or two. It's called the Pacific storm. It's, Nothing other than what I've experienced all. I've lived out here forever and have these every few years. I've seen a lot worse, but there was emergency alerts on my phone. Stay home, shelter in place. There is the news like you don't go out, don't go out. The, you know, this is extensive flooding. I'm, I'm going to, I, Emily very kindly jumped on here a little earlier today because I'm going to drive an hour from here, right? Right. As we get off the phone, because I've lived in this, this, this is not a, and it feels like, first of all, they, they've gotten addicted to the panic, the panic porn, creating the panic. So the press and the leaders feel like they're not doing their job if they aren't panicking you in abundance of caution. Right. And then there is a group that seems to enjoy responding to it. Yeah. Like it feels well, that goes gratifying. Back to the crisis, I mean, my experience managing crisis there, there is a cognitive thing that happens, right? You know, I mean, your prefrontal cortex shuts down. You like your the back of your brain with all your instincts fires up. That's the part that's supposed to like run from a T Rex, right? Like that's right. not a rational thought process. But you also get to be a part of a group. If you've been disconnected, otherwise, at least now we're all connected in our yep. staying home and our staying disconnected. <laughs> you know, um, Sebastian so, Younger. No, he wrote Tribe. He actually wrote The Perfect Storm. He's written a bunch of books. He wrote a I, read, book. I read Tribe. I read so, Tribe. So yeah. Tribe is exactly what you're speaking to. Yeah. It is yeah. that sense of like, you know, the war was my favorite time of life. I had yeah. a sense of purpose. I felt I belonged. I mean, I think actually when people say to me, like, what's the key to life or what's, you know, the key to happiness? I think it is sense of purpose. I oh, think absolutely. That's have that, to have something you feel you're contributing that, meaningfully in this. That's life. actually been documented that 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 having purpose is a key ingredient in happiness, but we've lost track of what the word happiness even means. And mm-hmm. I, I have to really point out that oftentimes uh, regularly, we're not talking about hedonic tone. We're talking about what Aristotle called eudaimonia, which is closer to living a good life. Right. Uh, what does that mean? What's more right. nourishing? And it's so stark for me because I've said forever that no one's happier than my heroin addicted patients when they get their first hit in the morning. They're they're very, very happy. That is not a good life. (laughs) That's not happiness, eudaimonic happiness. Yeah. And I think there's something about, um, and this is going to sound super judgy, but the the lack (laughs) of education, Uh, right? And I mean that both in the school systems and, you know, higher education, as well as our sort of zeitgeist about what our values are. Mm. And I think that that mixes in, in this sort of perfect way where it people are, and then you have the media is also supposed to be a source of education for people. Mm. And I think that the, those things really kind of combine to make people feel a sense of purpose and a sense of urgency and a sense of belonging about whatever the hell you tell them to care about. Right. Mm. You just have to tell them in a certain way. And I often think about, and a lot of people have written about this over the past couple of years, but, you know, sort of this idea of the military industrial complex and the warning of that. And then actually you just replace it with pharma and you're kind of there, right? That this, you have to be worried about um, the government superpowers using fear 
to drive their economic, political, social agendas in ways that are not accurate, right? And are not actually in your best interest. And they're not actually things that you should be scared of. And I think, you know, when we see this- Well, new- that's what feels like happening, right? Because yeah, I think such, we're there. It, 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 it's like so irrational <laughs> to be, like, it feels motivated. It's like, what are we doing? Why are you going, oh, I drove- Two hours yesterday in the rain, home from Santa Barbara, and I'm going to drive out to see North Pedis, another part of town, an hour from here now. And I'm going about my life in the rain, the way I always have when it rains. Yeah. It's raining, everybody. It's not nothing unusual. No wind, no hurricane, no excessive. I mean, it's been steady. I I remember my dad complaining about it when I was in grade school, that we'd have these storms that would go for two weeks and would freak him out. Like, when's this going to stop? It never happens like this. The next year, he'd say the same thing. It never happens like this because we have sun the other 340 days of the year. And so we're not used to it. But it's 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 a it's I, not I, an actual flood. sign of the apocalypse. There, there will be flooding. We have. That's why we have that damn. Do you, people will ever wonder why we have those cement riverbreds in Los Angeles that we hate? That's for this. So this doesn't actually cause flash floods and actually take houses away the way it used to in the, in the early 60s. When I remember, I remember seeing going on the news and seeing houses coming down all the time and washing away just like like uh, the the uh, tsunami in, in the east. You know, it just it happened back then. They took care of it. They made these ugly riverbeds that normally is a tiny trickle. And at times like this, they giant torrent and then people put their they think it's smart to go wade in and it takes them off. And now it becomes a gigantic story because one person is an idiot. Yeah. Well, and also it's the climate change thing, right? So, yeah. I mean, like, well, that's, I think what's behind it. Don't that's eat meat. It feels like. It's like bad for the climate. Don't, yeah. you know, fly anywhere. Like after COVID, I heard people, there were rumblings that they were going to say they were just going to, you know, change the transportation rules in part because they were saying like, we shouldn't be flying so much. Look at how great we did through COVID when nobody yeah. was flying with the environment. Right. That's right. So it's like these are all connected. I don't think they're individual issues at all. And I think it is this idea of being fear-based. And I think it's about being manipulative of people who don't know better. I mean, I think the goal of the Broken Science Initiative is to give people the tools to be able to sess up what's bullshit and what's not. What is science and what is not science, right? And, right. and that this is something that every citizen actually really needs to arm themselves with because it's the basis of critical thinking, once science has been appropriated and corrupted, you really, I mean, that's supposed to be the empirical branch of knowledge, right? Mm. So if that's our purest form of knowledge and it's been susceptible to this level of, you know, manipulation and corruption, then there is nothing that hasn't been touched. Yeah, it, 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 it is. I was just thinking today, I don't know if you and I, if I've shared this thought with you, um, there's all this this very weird stuff about, disinformation and misinformation and and you know i it sort of came to light for me when i was talking to robert f kennedy jr rfk jr and uh at the end of my interview he goes you're so brave to talk to me I'm like brave to talk to a person about what and uh, of course i eat shit for it and stuff and i thought that, that that's now my job is to stand up and, and interview people <laughs> that other people maybe don't like or that's 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 what we do. That's how you move information forward. That's how you develop your understanding of things. And I recently thought to myself, I don't think I said this to you. Like, can can you think of, I'll ask you this, Emily, do who the most significant purveyor of misinformation in history ever was? 
the the, the man that the, that came up with an idea that was labeled misinformation. It was threatening to the very fabric of society. It was threatening to the church. It was threatening to the Bible. It was threatening to God himself. And he was set before the Spanish Inquisition for a daring to... This is Galileo. Like, Galileo. Galileo, for sure. Yeah, right? that, is, that, yeah. is your, that is your worst misinformation source in history. Yep. And you want to be, do you want to be the person that silences? Now, not everybody that has a scientific opinion is Galileo, obviously. But you're also, if you silence everybody, you're going to silence the next Galileo, too. So then you're like is. the Doge, I think, right? You're like <laughs> Tell bringing, me more. you know, Did somebody like speak the, up for him. The, the Doge is in Venice. Venice was like this awesome community where, or you know, Republic, I guess, right? Where women yeah. have all kinds of women ran the businesses because the men were out to sea, and they're they basically, I mean, the, the Jewish ghetto that's in Venice, they were all taken because they were persecuted elsewhere, and the Venetians were like, well, "Do can you provide a service?" And they were like, "Yes, we're really good at banking." So they. <laughs> They were like, great, you do the banking, right? And so it was like, if you could come and you could provide some, I mean, like a real meritocracy, then you were welcome there. It was an incredibly diverse place. And I think that with Galileo, he was, you know, kicked out of Rome and he went to Venice and he basically was able, I think that's where he came up with the telescope. Oh, is that right? See, I don't know. Part of this. I know. I know what happened Doge. after he got in trouble. I know. I know and his relationship Doge with the Pope. Like, was like, what am I going to do with this? And he showed uh-huh. him. And he was like, look how far you can see boats coming to attack you. Uh, and so it became this huge military tool that oh, was interesting. That gave them a massive advantage because they're surrounded by sea. They're mercantilian, right? And so protecting that and being able to see much, much farther than anybody else could became a Venetian advantage. So Galileo served his purpose, and he was protected. And honored, right? So, I mean, it's kind of, I think, you know, more and more, we need people kind of like that. Yes, yes. We're doing a broken science. We're definitely collecting people who have been canceled for different reasons, but have made major contributions and can help inform the average person on stuff. And my thing is, you know, I may not agree with people politically on a whole host of things. However, if you have some idea or invention or contribution that you've made, then I want to honor that. The fact that people, you know, um, there's a guy at MIT in Harvard who was accused of sexual harassment um, and they were taking him off of papers he wrote 10 years ago. Mm. He was a candidate to like get a Nobel prize and you mm. can't go back and erase somebody's contributions because of some other thing. Like we, we have such a hard time separating these things. And I don't, for some reason, like for me, it doesn't really matter. But the other thing we're doing is my show, which I interviewed you for Emily Unleashed, um, which you can sign up for on all the podcast platforms. And yeah, please do. It's it's really a, a well done, in depth look at these things. And so I'm talking to people who have been brave enough, smart enough, and brave enough to challenge the status quo and change a paradigm. And some of them have been canceled and ruined for it, but it's changed our conversation. Mm. And some of them have gone on. And so there's some really, I mean, aside from you and Adam Grola and. Um, Larry Arn is going to be a guest on the show. There's a woman um, who's been running these underground schools in Pakistan for girls. Mm. Mm. So taking women who were educated while we were there and they're going into tribal areas and they're doing this really amazing work where they're getting the male elders to promise protection of the teachers and students. But the women who had been educated are now becoming the teachers in this underground movement to keep educating girls. So people like that, that are sort of like, you know what? 
Like what we're doing isn't working. This is fundamentally wrong. It's stopping progress. I can see a better way. I want to do it. Um, I'm willing to risk a lot. And in some cases, like you and I have talked about, I don't think it's a choice. I mean, like for me, I don't think it's a choice. I don't think when I see, you know, there's that Voltaire quote of like, if you see fraud and you don't say fraud, you are a fraud. Mm. Like, I love that because it mm. just speaks to me. It's sort of one of those things where it's like, you've got to stand up for the little guy and you've got to stand up when you see things are going off the rails and you can't just sit back and say like, you know, even 9-11 stuff, really, the Patriot Act was a great example of this too, where we're giving up all these freedoms, right? Due process, all of these things that we would never normally give up, but they, they did it with a fear-based thing. And people were like, well, I don't care if they search me at the airport. Like, I don't care if they listen to my phone calls. I'm not saying anything wrong. That was me. Oh, and, and I, yeah, no, I know. I, I, I You're absolutely right. And, and I, that was me. And uh, it took the last 10 years to sort of get my eyes opened wide. And now I get it. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of The Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink, the guys come in, I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money, Bam, I give her $100. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. See, I didn't imagine... I, I had too much trust in centralized authority, and I didn't understand. I didn't imagine that this country would give so much authority to to federal figures. That was not the intent of this country. It was just a union of states. It was. It I mean, was the not- federal government is the largest employer, right? Like this is Ugh. a behemoth of a government right now that has a lot of control and power in all kinds of different ways. So it's kind of. I mean, it's scary, but I do think there are very strong, interesting voices of people in all. And so it's like art and science. It's not just going to be scientists and researchers. It's also, you know, I want to get some musicians and, you know, really interesting people who have felt a calling to stand up and and say what they think is wrong and how to do it better. And I mean, that fits so perfectly in with the Broken Science Initiative because yeah. I think we're really about predictability, right? And Yeah. No, I, you mentioned the, you know, calling out fraud or you are a fraud. Um, I'm guessing that's what got you into journalism, right? You were sort of, and that used to be the journalistic sort of posture, I thought. Yeah, you're you know, not trying and, to make friends. Right. And, and, but you were trying to dissect, unearth, not toe a line or take, or even take a position necessarily. I mean, it was, you you tried to just report what you found and may, maybe, interpret it but offer it as an interpretation uh or contextualize it that kind of thing now it's just i don't know what i i stopped reading print i stopped i used to read the new york times every day 
And I first the LA Times. First I realized, oh, this is this speaking of fraud, this total fraud. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just stopped stopped that subscription. But the New York Times started looking that way to me too. And I that was heartbreaking for me. Remember yeah. that well, I mean, I think even the notion that journalists use the word misinformation, a word they can't define. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't use a word you don't know what it means, right? Yes. And so my whole thing with misinformation is whenever somebody would say that to me, I'd say, Do you mean inaccurate or do you mean inconvenient? Because we have those two words and they're very clearly defined. So well, what they, is they, they would say, because I've been trying to figure this out too, they, they would say something like harmful. It, it's, it's so wrong that it's harmful. And then, but it, even if it's not truly wrong, it's still harmful, which is, I love that position, <laughs> right? You're laughing because that, that's how these people the, think. The follow-up question is harmful to who? Harmful well, let's say, let's take Galileo. Back. I mean, l- let's take Galileo because again, yep. that's what the church thought it would. This is why they tabled it. The, the the back to our little history. You know, the Catholic Church was very thoughtful. They were not, and so was the Inquisition. It was a, a legally careful legal infrastructure, mm-hmm. and they did had all kinds of excesses. Look, Robespierre was a great jurist. You know the yep. the the. Um, what do they call the 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 what was that called? The Saint Coulette set up a government, uh, the bureau or whatever there was. They, they that was yeah. What is it? I think maybe a Com- committee. Committee it was the committee yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah, committee on public safety. But again, interesting. Interesting public safety. Isn't yeah. that interesting? Right. Yeah. Uh, of yeah. Yeah. There it is. And um, it's the excesses and the lack of ability to to contextualize reality within the context of these extreme points of view. And uh, and they took Galileo, and they they literally said, I mean, the Pope at one point said to him, you know, this may be true, but we have to really think about it because this, you know, putting the sun at the center of the, but at that time, what has sort of been called the universe, that's that's uh, that's an adjustment. I mean, what do we do with cer- certain interpretations of the Bible we had? There was some Bible thing where the sun stayed in the air for three days or something. There's some there are a couple of things that they interpreted literally that. Um, they would have to reinterpret. And they're like, well, what, what are we going to tell people? And how are we going to do this? And let's have the Inquisition think about it. It's sort of how they right. how, we, how we did it. He wasn't going to do that until he, um, I don't know if you know this history, but. Um, I did once upon a time, but it's. Yeah, kind of he, back he, of my Galileo brain. wrote a book uh, sort of uh, about this issue. And it was a dialogue amongst three men. Uh, and one was essentially the Pope. And that was the. And, and he he called that person Simplicio, the sim, you know, the simple, the simple one. guy, <laughs> the <Yeah>. simple guy. And <laughs> uh, and at the end, the other two went, oh, Simplicio, your t- interpretation is so vivid and so fantastic and so over the top. They get to do, you know, really crazy um, uh, um, sort of licking his boots. And um, and the Pope got wind of it. And he goes, all right, let's let the, you're, I'm not thinking about the same way the Inquisition is going to talk about, yeah. about it. And he went there twice, if I remember right, the Inquisition. The, both times they're like, all right, we don't know. What are we going to do with this? <laughs> and yeah, then finally. It's inconvenient. It's inconvenient to their agenda. But it, but it, but it was dangerous. It was dang, It was unraveling the entire sense it of reality. and the, to the church. It well, wasn't dangerous. The inf- information can't be dangerous. It's just what you do with information that's but, dangerous. But let's think about it. Let's let's Because this, this is the same shit these people are thinking today. It's exactly same thought process. So the, the thinking was that if we, yes, it would, of course, undermine our authority, would undermine our interpretation of the Bible, but but we can deal with that. How about how it harms our people? It's going to harm them. They're going to lose their faith. They're going to lose their sense of where they are in the universe and their purpose and their specialness. I, I mean, it's an argument, right? It's like, it's an yeah. argument, but it's, it's, it's negating the virtue of truth. 
right? Yes, it is. And you and I understand it as as a profound virtue and probably maybe an overriding virtue of so many other things. But prudence does have some role. So I don't think in terms of controlling people, truth doesn't matter. If my goal is to control a population of people, then I want to control truth. If let's my say, goal let's, is- let's, let's bring it to the present moment. My goal is to help people. My goal is to make people safe. I believe that they have to all get a vaccine and, and every booster and anything short of that is going to put them in, in harm's way. Mm-hmm. And and I, there's this guy saying the vaccines may not be that useful, or there may be some harm if you're 30 year old male or something. What do you what do you do? And and I and I and I've read the the literature, which is what we're talking about, and I've convinced myself that I'm right. So I guess the 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 caution in all this is hubris. Don't believe yeah. you are necessarily right. Be be, be yeah, humble right. humble before all information. And always all truth. be curious. Always be curious. Always assume that there's something that you don't understand, yeah. and that's on both sides, right? Yeah. I mean, I think like we people become so entrenched in these things. Yes, that they yeah. they're you're making emotional decisions about things that should be really practical. Yes, and that's and, a misfiring. I mean, yes. if for me, I would. It's like I'd be interested to hear you talk about like sort of the idea of like you know sort of cognitive behavioral therapy. How do you deal with people who are panicked about something that's not a danger to them, right? Yeah. You have to kind of unwind and say, let's look it's at the slow. reality it's, of it's it. It's slow. I yeah. think that's what we need is like a collective cognitive behavioral yeah. therapy. Yeah, there's something to that. And and it's just it's it's but it but at its core, that kind of CBT is a shared is a safe environment for feeling unpleasant feelings, meaning a therapeutic environment, someplace that's safe, feels safe. So you can start to let these feelings emerge. And we don't have anything like that. I I wrote down two things here too. And I think I brought this up in one of your interviews of me in the past, which is you're, we are, we are advocating for rationality and rational uncertainty Mm -hmm. that, that to be rational is to be uncertain. And when you live in it, and we live in a time of irrational, meaning it's not rational to be this way, irrational certitude. Mm-hmm. And some of that is a fact that we have undermined the, the virtue of truth. We've said that truth is all relative. It doesn't matter. You can't, you, it's all constructed by your brain anyway. And so to ascend to some contemplation of the truth is not just a waste of time, it's racist because it's old white men that thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's all racist, right? I mean, like, uh, yeah, yeah. And I, th- I mean, we have spent a lot of time at the Broken Science Initiative looking at the philosophy of science. Yeah, and I think this plays a really direct role in that, right? And so, if you try to think, if you, if I could like wave a wand mm-hmm. and get every, not just scientist but citizen, to stop thinking about things in terms of certainty and start <laughs> reframing that as uncertainty, and that your goal is to cut down on the uncertainty. But you're never going to have absolute certainty, right? Right. So if you think about this in terms of truth, is there a hard truth? Well, I would say there probably, you know, there there may be all kinds of things that we don't know yet, right? That in mm-hmm. time, new tools or devices or sensing equipment or whatever will reveal to us that we had something we believe to be a truth that's wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's where the progress is. Mm-hmm. But you have to be open to the idea. And I think there is something about the human brain and trust and control that really wants certainty. You want assurances that you're making the right decision, that it's a certain decision. Yeah. Any ambiguity causes unrest. Yeah. And when you have a psychologically, you know, delicate, damaged 
populists, their risk tolerance is lower. So mm-hmm. they're going to be more inclined to desire certainty mm-hmm. than confident, resilient, right? So like if you go back in time and you think about like the World War II generation, they could handle a lot of risk, yeah. right? And they yeah. were resilient and they knew that they had gotten through a really hard time. And that allowed them to, you know, whether it was opening businesses or really dive into a good education system, that all feeds on itself. As I think this belief in, you know, I have to know what's certain and I have to know that I can trust you and that this is right. It's, you know what you need? You need to know that you as an individual can fail and that you can get back up and you can take care of yourself and you can take care of your family. And once you have that, then you can kind of go out there and navigate in a way where you're being more logical and rational. If you don't feel you have that internal security and safety and confidence, then I, I think you're kind of navigating in this frenetic, emotional way. I mean, I think I've said this to you before, but I feel like if the Enlightenment was the age of reason, we're living through the age of emotion. Mm. And it's hugely detrimental to us. I think it's incredibly dangerous. I think it's making us very, very vulnerable. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. And I, I would add to something you brought up earlier is finding purpose, but willing to sacrifice and take risk for purpose. Right. I would add to that. And the one other thing that Emily Unleashed is all about, I'm talking to the people who are, have taken big risks, right. Yeah. And been put in hard situations and made the decision that they felt in their heart and mind was the right one to take regardless of what the outcome would be. And my last note is we've been talking a lot about the truth, but in science, there is no truth. There's only theory, which is something that is, is standing up to scrutiny, which means you can run experiments where it seems to be predictive and it seems to be statistically uh, a, a representation of something in the physical world. Uh, we call that a theory. That word has been severely adulterated by the humanities. The theory is everything. It's just because nothing is true. Siri just answered my uh, phone when I said theory. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Always listening. yeah. And, um, be careful there, there, you know, we, there, you, you, we have a limited instrument. We are trying to ascend to something, some approximation of the truth. That's our goal. Truth is important. So Emily, as always, it is a wonderful conversation. Whenever I get together with you, tell them all where to go. Where do you want everybody to go to find you? Um, to get, more, okay. get more Emily. So we have a lot and I have now updated my Twitter cause I'm back on Twitter a little bit, trying to navigate in the nice circles. Hmm. Um, but that's just Emily Kaplan X. And then we have. Am I following at, you there? I don't know. That's wrong. All right. Uh, and then for Broken Science on X, we have at Broken underscore Science. And then our Instagram is really like where we're spending most of our time socially. So that's at Broken Science Initiative. And then Emily underscore Unleashed and at News Not Noise. Those Wait, are the I, I'm, I'm looking for you are, uh, on X. Are you at Emily Kaplan? If Emily just, Kaplan X. That is not turning up. Interesting. Let me see. No. Just no, Emily Kaplan with the letter maybe X. I didn't, maybe it's because I didn't put the ad in it. Hang on. Let me see. It. Just I want to make sure we're giving everybody the right information. At Emily Kaplan X. Mm-mm. Wait a minute. Oh, oh, yes, it did come out. It come back. Okay. I'm following you. Yeah. Heard yeah. Me. Yeah, good. I'm like, I just got back on. I'm blocked. Yeah. yeah. No and, then, and then what what is going to be different at Broken Science than following you? 
Um, well, for the my channels are usually a lot of my like personal stuff. Mm. Broken science stuff is really focused on the content that we're pushing out. Okay. And that again is on X, it's at broken underscore science. Okay. On Instagram, it's at Broken Science Initiative. Science. I'm following it right now. Amazing. Thank you. And then Broken Science's website, which I would definitely encourage anybody who's interested in the Dana-Farber thing or other science. We have lots of scientific misconduct. We also have lots of stuff on Bayes and probability theory and p-values and- awesome. Amazing. Um, Gattens, Malcolm Kendrick's been writing for us. Amazing. He's been writing for us. We have some really profound thinkers. That's um, brokenscience.org. I'm so glad you're doing this. I, 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 you know, in the course of sort of running around and trying to stand up for the truth, um, I've just met some really interesting people. You were certainly one of them uh, that I'm, oh, just makes good. me feel, makes not just interesting, but it makes me feel better about where we are. Like That is such a compliment. Yeah. Thank you so much. So that means I, a lot to me. But appreciate the work you're doing. Everybody go follow Emily and listen to Emily Unleashed. Thank you so much. See you next time. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Pluto TV is TV the way it should be, free, with over 300 channels, thousands of movies and TV shows costing zeros of dollars. So if you want to watch shows like Ghost, The Walking Dead, CSI, Star Trek, or The Price is Right, well, The Price is Right, it's free. Hit movies like Braveheart, Sonic the Hedgehog, Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, or Mean Girls won't cost you a thing, because everything is free. All you have to do is download the app, which, by the way, is also free. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never.